Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. It is good to be back at Covenant. Um, I am the Scot, all right? So we together can be the Scot. Very grateful for this community and very grateful for Grant and the invite to, to be here with you all. Looking forward to this time together. We're going to talk about um, the grace of God and how Ikea changed my life, okay? And uh, we're going to do that from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or if you want to pull one out, um, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Paul writing to the Ephesians says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the words of life that are contained in it. Lord, we believe that, that, that you love us, and we believe that you call us into a love relationship where we order our lives around your goodness and your kindness toward us. And I pray, Lord, that in these moments, those realities, those, those, those true realities would come to bear in our own hearts and in our own souls that we might know more of your love and understand more of its implications for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, two super simple truths from this passage. Starting off point one, the Bible would tell us, God would have us know something I hope you are all very familiar with, point one, that we are a people who are saved by grace. Saved by grace. When we start thinking about Christianity, when we start thinking about our faith, we don't start by thinking about what we must do for God in order to be quote-unquote good Christians. No, we start by thinking about what God has done for us. This is the gospel order, that he is the God of love who has done something for us before we are ever called to do anything for him in response. Look at verse 1. You, we read, me, you, we, were dead in our trespasses and sins. So, you know, most people, and surveys show us most people in America, think that Christianity is ultimately about being a good person. 
But Christianity teaches that if, if you're a good person, then in the end, all things will, will work out well for you. Well, that's not what the Bible has to say. The Bible says Christianity begins by acknowledging that none of us are actually good people. Look at, look at you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We might be a people who dress up okay. We might be a people who look respectable on the outside. We probably are a people who know the kind of things you should and shouldn't say in church, but at the end of the day, all of us are a mess. A mess of what? Well, a mess of trespasses. The Bible's word that means we've, we've missed the mark. A mess of, of sins. We do things we ought not to do. We don't do those things we ought to do. Um, and perhaps most shockingly of all, the Bible says that because of this, we're, we're dead. Now listen, one of the things I love about the Bible is like how direct and how honest it is. Like if, you were, if we were hoping for like warm, fuzzy, good vibes, we should have gone to Hallmark's website. Um, we should have watched an episode of Oprah. We should have done something other than open the Bible because the Bible has some hard truths in it. And, and here it is saying that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, outside of Jesus, we're not just a little off. We're not, we've not just got some room for improvement. It's not like we're getting C grades. It's like, no, we're, we're, we're dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what, that's what sin does to our souls. It, it kills us. And I wonder if the, the shock of that teaching finds, finds place in our hearts this morning. I'm reminded of 33-year-old Kent Bradley. He was the director of Samaritan Purse's medical efforts in Liberia when the Ebola epidemic hit. Don't know if you remember this several years ago now, but this terrible epidemic swept through uh, parts, of, parts of Liberia. And um, this disease that starts just with a cough, starts just with some congestion, progresses to uh, vomiting and internal bleeding and organ failure. And 70%, 70% of those who contracted Ebola died in Liberia. And here's Kent Bradley, uh, an American doctor, uh, trying to care for people in that context. Well, as the uh, epidemic began to take hold, he sent his wife and his children back to the States, prioritizing their, their safety over their service in that moment. He stayed and continued with that work until what started to happen? He started to develop symptoms. He himself contracted Ebola. And can you imagine, imagine the shock of that moment? The shock of realizing that this evil disease is no longer like out there in other people, but is now incubating within. And the Bible says, we all have to have that moment of shock when it comes to our own sin. We all have to realize that left to ourselves, we're dead outside of Christ. The sin is gonna kill us at rates that are worse than 70%. Have we had that, that moment of realization. The Bible says we don't just stand in need before God. We are already dead on the floor until what? Verse 4. You see it there? But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So God is going to show us mercy. Why? Because he loves us. 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy, he is great in love, and so he doesn't treat us as we deserve. Instead, he gives grace, undeserved favor. He takes dead people like me and dead people like you, and he performs a resurrection. That's what verse 5 says, brings us alive together with Christ, and it's all of grace. So, you know, sometimes people like to picture salvation as like you're drowning in the ocean, okay? And Jesus comes along and he throws you the life preserver and all you have to do is, is reach out and grab it. And we say, that is, that is not the picture. The Bible says, we've already drowned and are at the bottom of the ocean. We're already dead, already cold, already blue until Jesus comes along, goes down to the very depths to get us brings us back to the surface and fills us with his life. That's grace, according to the Bible. And if I hope that you've had the shocking realization of sin, I hope you've had the even more shocking realization of grace. That it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and will save you in Jesus, his son. It doesn't matter if you've been good, if you've been bad. It doesn't matter if you're rich or on food stamps. It doesn't matter if you have a million followers or you've just been canceled. All of us can be saved by grace. Alistair Begg, another Scottish pastor, who I don't know, in case anyone asks me later. You know, when, but when people find out from, I'm from Scotland, they like to ask me if I know other Scottish people. So I don't know Alistair Begg, I don't know Sean Connery, I don't know William Wallace, okay? I don't know, yeah, yeah. it's very disappointing. But Alistair Begg uh, recently illustrated the reality of grace by talking about the thief on the cross. It's kind of been doing the rounds on social media, you might, you might have seen it, but he imagines, um, what was it like when the thief on the cross got to heaven? And you know, the angel's there, and the the angel asks that great evangelism explosion question of, you know, why should I let you into God's heaven? And and the thief on the cross, he's he's never been to a Bible study. He's never been to church. Um, Didn't have any Christian education, and yet he made it there. And so so the angel says to him, what are you doing here? And he says, (laughs) I don't know. And the angel says, well, okay, could you, um, could you please outline for me your doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so off the angel runs to get a supervisor and um, <laughs> comes up to the front to talk to the thief, you know, like, are we going to let this guy in? You know, maybe tell us about your doctrine of scripture or tell us about, you know, tell us about the, what, what kind of like missions activities were you involved in, right? The thief says, on it. I really have no idea what you're, talk- what you're talking about. And so the angel says, okay, then tell me, on what basis are you, are you here? And the thief would turn and say, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. <laughs> the man on the middle cross told me I could come. And that's the only reason any of us will be saved. Because we'll be saved by grace or we won't be saved at all. <laughs> We'll be loved freely by his grace, or we won't be loved at all. 
And yet we are, because God is rich in mercy, great in love. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. We're saved by grace. Okay, if you understand this teaching, a question should arise. It's natural for a question to arise, which, which is this. If all is grace, do our lives matter? If, if we're saved fully and freely by his goodness toward us, and we cannot contribute anything toward that, do, do the lives that we now lead matter? And God says that they do. Not because we need to try and pay him back for his love toward us, but our lives matter now because of his love toward us. Point two, point one, we're saved by grace. Point two, because of his love, we're also saved now for works. Saved by grace, but saved for works. Can we see this in the text? Our passage contrasts two different ways of of walking, two different ways of of living life. First, in verse 2, we read, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We followed the course of the world, followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So before Jesus, we walked in our sins. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, that phrase comes from, from, from these verses here. We lived according to the world. There was no difference between us and, and anybody else. We lived according to the flesh. We did whatever felt good short-term in, in the moment. We followed the devil. We lived lives that were pleasing to him. But now, look at verse 8, there's a more beautiful way. We could walk in our sins, but now, verse 8, we can walk in grace. Look at verse 8. For by grace you be saved through faith, this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, here's the phrase, that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by works, verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace, but we are saved for works, that God's love doesn't just save us eternally, it also recommissions us for usefulness today. Consider three of the details of verse 10 with me. First of all, we're told that we are his, his workmanship, that the saved by grace, you're now, you're now a new creation, you are his, his workmanship. Now, you know, translation of the Bible can be, can be tricky. Translation of any language can be tricky. Uh, I saw on the news recently, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron was in Australia, and he was talking in his, you know, flawless English to the then Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, and then he, he turned to, to the Prime Minister and he said, oh, um, for the warm welcome that we've received here, I would like to thank you and your delicious wife. What? <laughs> All the press held their breath. Like, what? Why, why so forward? Is this, is this how the French actually roll, right? Is he fulfilling all, all stereotypes? Well, no, apparently, the French word that Macron was looking for can mean delicious, but can also mean delightful. <laughs> That's the meaning that he had in mind. I would like to thank you and your delightful wife. Translation can be tricky, and translation sometimes tricky when it comes to the Bible too, because this word, workmanship, I don't think it's, it's the best translation, or it doesn't get at the fullness of this term. It's the Greek word poema, which is where we get our English word poem, and it speaks of something that's been made or crafted with, with care and intentionality 
and creativity. The Bible would say that if you're saved by grace, you're a new creation, you are, are a new creation, that, that God has, has crafted you, he has carved you, he has, he has poured time and energy into molding and shaping you with an element of creativity. Why has he done this? So that, look at the next verse, we might do good works. We are, we're his workmanship created that we might do good works. Now, good works, this phrase good works, is Paul's shorthand phrase for the, for the entire Christian life. So you know how Jesus will, will sum up the Christian life by saying, love God and love your neighbor? That's kind of a, a shorthand summary of, of everything the Bible would, would have to teach. Well, in the same way, Paul summarizes the Christian life by using this phrase, good works. You see this especially in the book of, of Titus, where again and again it's used as a, a summary of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live a life of love, what it means to, to live a life devoted to God and to your neighbor. So we have been saved and then crafted, created with, with care and, and creativity in order that we might live the lives that, that God has, has, has designed for us to live. But then note the third detail, these good works that God has already prepared in advance for us to do. See that phrase? God has already prepared these good works for us. This is one of those verses in the Bible that should like stop us in our tracks and make us feel a little bit unnerved. That you and I, we are not meant to kinda sorta meander our way through lives, through our lives. That God actually does have a plan for our days. That he actually does have a plan for our lives. And that he has good works that he has prepared for you to do today that you might walk in them. That the adventure of life with the Father isn't getting up and, and wondering, you know, what does the Lord have for me today? It's getting up and looking to see what are the good works that he has already prepared for us to do. This work of keeping in step with the Spirit, Presbyterian school, Presbyterians, we believe in the Holy Spirit, okay, we do. And this is the call of our lives to to be in step with the Lord who loves us and to be on the lookout for the good works that he has prepared for us to do. Saved by grace, we're saved for works. We're invited to live for Jesus. Now, it doesn't take long when you look out at our world to see that the, you know the world needs us to accept this invitation? The world needs us to understand that God's love isn't just something that saves us forever, but is something that changes our lives here, here today. Do you know what the world doesn't need? Even one more nominal Christian. Even one more nominal Christian who's going to think that their faith is about judging other people. Even one more nominal Christian who's going to think that their faith is about the political party that they vote for. Even one more nominal Christian who's going to do anything other than seek to keep in step with the good works that Jesus has already prepared in advance for us to, to do. Our world needs us to respond to this, to this invitation. Larry Hurtado is a New Testament professor, uh, was at the University of Edinburgh. He wrote a really interesting book called Destroyer of the Gods. 
And in this book, he, he describes um, why Christianity was seen as such an unusual faith in the early days after Jesus's resurrection. So why the world, the outside world, looked at the church, looked at Christians, and thought that they were really unusual. Now, part of why they were deemed unusual was because of their beliefs. Christians believed some things the world thought was, was weird. So for example, they refused to worship the pantheon of gods and insisted that there was only one God who was worthy of worship. They were also ridiculed for believing that, that God had a, a personal love for them. That was deemed a, a, a bizarre thing to believe in that time. But beyond their, their beliefs, Christians in the early church were viewed as bizarre for living that the way that they living the way that they did. Can I give you some examples? It seems strange to the outside world that Christians embrace different races and ethnicities as brothers and sisters in Christ. It seemed bizarre to the watching world in an age when unwanted babies, usually girls, would literally be thrown on a trash heap and left to die. It was strange that Christians would go out gather up these infants and then raise them as their own. Not raise them and sell them into slavery, but, but raise them as their, their own. It seemed strange to the outside world at a time when it was common to have sex with multiple partners and certainly with prostitutes that, that Christians pursued this thing of, of sexual purity. It seemed strange to the outside world in a very hierarchical society uh, Christians were, were ridiculed for giving equal honor to men and women, parents and children, masters and slaves. In other words, it was the social behavior of Christians, their emphasis on racial reconciliation, sanctity of life, sexual ethics, the dignity of all people, that was profoundly counter-cultural and got the attention of the watching world. We need to understand that Christians make a difference in the world, not solely on the basis of the things that we believe, but on the basis of the lives we actually live. That's how we become Christ's body to, to a broken world. And doesn't our world need this? We think of the, the 1.6 billion people, billion with a B. I'm a language arts guy. I don't even really understand how big a billion is, right? The 1.6 billion people in our world today who lack the basic necessities of food and clean water. We think of the fact that today, you know, today, for all our advancement and all our progress, we're living in the middle of the, the greatest refugee crisis in all of human history. Some 70 million people are currently displaced from their homes fleeing violence and, and horrors and war. We think of the fact that today, man, this step breaks my heart. For all our advancement and all our progress, for all our enlightenment, the annual profits from the human trafficking industry, most of which is sex trafficking, the annual profits from the, the human trafficking industry exceed that of Microsoft, Apple, Samsung, BP, and Exxon combined. And wouldn't it be beautiful if into this mess stepped a bunch of Christians who loved so well that the world thought we were weird? 
if into this mess we responded to God's love by, by loving so well that the world thought we were weird, if our reputation was not defined by hypocrisy or being judgmental or our political beliefs, but by love, if people said, hey, see these Christians, I, I don't buy all that they believe, but I'm really glad they're here. That Chattanooga would be more like the kingdom of God because covenant is here. That my hometown, Knoxville, would be more like the kingdom of God because my church is, is there. A people of love who love so well, people think we're weird. That's the invitation. Saved by grace, we're saved for works. Closing story. Um, it took me a while to understand that the radical call of God on our lives is an aspect of his love toward us. That it's not that we're saved and then we need to now clean up our act and do, and do a better job, but actually the lives we now live are, are an expression of his love toward us. And I never really got this until I made Ikea furniture. So I have four kids, 20 through 13, which means there was a time when they were 10 through three. And um, not so many years ago, I was making flat pack furniture, this bootcase with one of my wee girls, okay? And she was helping. Okay? <laughs> now, if you've ever made IKEA furniture, you know there's lots of little bits and there's lots of little tools and there's like wooden dowels and there's screws and there's turning things and there's all sorts of little bits that kids can do a great job of losing, right? And so I'm here receiving her help, getting increasingly frustrated at how much, how much easier it would have been for me to do this by myself. And don't you wonder, like, God must feel the same way sometimes? <laughs> when he looks at our world and when he looks at his desires for his kingdom to come on earth, you th he'd kind of be better off cutting out the middlemen, right? Doing some divine finger snap and his kingdom would come. Like, why would he, why would he use us? in all of our mess. Well, as I'm making Ikea furniture, my wife walks past the door and she sticks her head in the room and she says, oh, how are things going, right? And my wee girl looks up and says, great, right? And I give her this look, right? Now, one of the things you'll learn when you're married is you can communicate a world of emotion with a single look, okay? And this look said, I'm about to kill her daughter, right? <laughs> <laughs> You brought her into this world, I'm gonna take her out, okay? <laughs> and my wife smiled, looked me in the eye and said, it takes more love to do it this way. It takes more love to do it this way. You see the heart of the Father who loves you by his grace and then invites you to come and work with that. He invites you to give your life to him, not to repay him, but that you might have the joy of working with him. The heart of, the lo of, of love that the Father has for me, that the Father has, has for you. Saved by grace, saved for works. It takes more love to do it this way. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your grace. Um, by definition, it's undeserved. 
uh, by definition, we can never pay it back and let you've, you've lavished it upon us. And so, as people with all sorts of brokenness and mess, we give you thanks and praise for your love toward us and, and ask that you would help us to respond, Lord, to the, the love of, of our Father by living our lives for you. We pray it in your name. Amen.